Welcome to episode 173 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Lovin. Today we caught up with Lee Taylor. He's a designer currently freelancing. Before that, he was at The Grid. He was in town this last week and we had a chance to catch up with him, dig into his background, talked about a lot of interesting things around design and books and systems. Really fun conversation. This was one of my favorite episodes of the recent past. Before we get into it though, uh, we want to thank our sponsor, Wayno, for making this episode possible. Wayno is the digital agency you love to know, wait, and know to love. Know to love. Mm, They're building amazing products out of their office in Reykjavik, New York, and here in San Francisco. They built up an incredible team. They're just the best, seriously. Like Uh, talent-wise and human-wise. Yeah, their work is inspiring. They're putting up awesome case studies on their website that you should go and learn from. If you're working on a portfolio and need a good example, go to Wayno, check out their case studies. Uh, If you need some inspiration, go to their Dribbble. Their work's amazing. It continues to win awards. Uh, their designers are cranking out their own amazing They're personal just work. They're fantastic. Uh, Jenny Johansson, uh, her latest portfolio. Uh, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but holy shit, it's amazing. Yeah. So why are they sponsoring the show? They're just generally hugely supportive of us. Like I was going through my Instagram stories the other day and I saw Gene Ross and his design details shoot randomly. I was like, oh my God, that is just the best feeling. Like yeah. they actually, like they're our friends. They, they love us. They're not trying to sell anything. We love them. But we highly recommend you just go check them out. Follow their work on their website at wayno.co. That's U-E-N-O dot C-O. Hit them up on Twitter, on Instagram, on Dribble if you need to get inspired, need to laugh. Uh, all the links are in our show notes. Thank you so much to Wayno for sponsoring us, making this episode possible. Again, go check out their work and follow them at wayno.co. With that, let's get into episode 173 with Lee Taylor. So I'm Lee Taylor, designer, uh, freelancer, um, going around on super cool projects. Um, yeah, that's about me. I don't like talking about me too much. Oh, you are in for a long hour. Oh, man. <laughs> man, I don't like it. You should have brought John Gold to do the the introduction. Brought him back, do the introduction, <laughs> get out of the way, and then he could have enjoyed his burrito. <laughs> the burrito that he always has in his back pocket. Always, uh-huh. always has. No one loves burritos quite like John Gold does. Why don't you like talking about yourself? Um, I don't think it's about me. You know, I, I like to I kind of navigate my work and my life quite privately, to be perfectly honest. Um, prefer to be behind the camera rather than in the spotlight. Um, and I think that kind of comes through in like a lot of the design work that I do is like not about me, not about the ego or anything else. I don't want people, I want people to see design and use it, but I don't want them to notice it. I want it to kind of go on another level, um, whether it's on their subconscious or it's like just expected. Mm -hmm. Those kind of qualities come through. And I think um, by kind of living that life, it's a lot easier to get to that place in your work. How do you balance that with having to kind of advertise yourself as a freelancer? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think I front loaded a lot of the work initially, you know, you work a hell of a lot harder in the early days, you know, to get those opportunities were like, for me, it was medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, or obvious corp at the time when I came over um, and you work all those hours and you just kind of stick your neck out in terms of like, this is way out of my league, um, but I'm going to go for it anyway. And then obviously once those names start coming on, it, it gets a little bit easier. I think I, I'm in a very fortunate position at the minute where I don't look for work. Um, I don't, I look for people. 
Mm-hmm. That that's what I do. I look for opportunities to work with like a good friend of mine, Nick Jones. Yep. Or if there's someone that's exciting, like Ar- like Aaron Stone, we kind of cross paths uh, a couple of times. He's at Envision. Yep. I'd love to work with him. You know, uh, and that's what I do. It doesn't really matter. the The secondary point is like what the product is, what the market fit is. You know, am I going to get any fame, glory? Um, and then probably on that list, is it going to pay well? You know, so it's mainly people that I go for. And then promotion wise, um, I just have a an attitude of going like, if I do good work, and I'm my my own biggest critic, I'll push it out into the circles, you know, like I have Beyonce and I have Dribble and designing now that that's coming out, like trying that out. Um, I'll just try and let the work do the talking and I don't really follow that up because the, the, the two types of promotion that I do is like with the work and then hope to God that I have a positive vibe with enough people where mm. they can do recommendations rather than me standing on top of a hill going, oh, I'm great. Look at all the design work that I've done. And it's... I think you'd agree that that kind of build it and they'll come kind of thing only works with, like if you have those early day, like high quality projects behind you. Yeah. Yeah. You still need to, you still need to bring and do good work and put all the hours in and, you know, like refine your craft. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, like refine your craft beyond what you see on the screen. Yeah. Like you can refine your craft with relationships and with promotion and whatever kind of, like we were talking recently with uh, David and I. Um, David you know, Malpass? Yes, David Malpass. I'm um, working on a, a little project with him. And we were talking like about the best marketing, feeling like it, there's no marketing. Yeah. And I think that attitude when when you're refining your craft, whether it's in promotion, whether it's in design or development or whatever else, is like you do the thing that people kind of, it's expected, you know. The marketing thing, I agree with you, but it's also scary to me because it puts a lot of moral responsibility on the marketers. If you're good enough to make your marketing not feel like marketing, yep, then you better be damn sure you're selling something that's good for people, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And you, you know, that's it, scary. That's a that's a really good way to. Think <laughs> I don't about know that. that I trust the world to to have my best interests in mind. Well, maybe not, but I think I think you've got to look at it like with an objective view of just going the pillars within any kind of good business, whether it's like tech, design, marketing, business itself, is you look around the other pillars and go, right, are you going to make my job easier? So if you're a marketer and you're going, right, I'm going to be attracted to good people that build good products, that's going to make my job a lot easier to do, um, then that notion is a lot easier to get over. You know what I mean? think so maybe um <laughs> it it's like all the what comes to mind is just all this like viral guerrilla marketing bullshit where companies will stage videos of things happening and like yeah but yeah that that i don't think we're talking think about feels like marketing we're right? talking about different like, things well you can see that coming I, I i mean i think there's a difference between like kind of 
brand awareness mm -hmm. and then marketing to the channel to kind of get your content or your vision or your mission out there. And obviously where, when you're just starting up, new company, new startup, whatever it is, um, those tactics, you know, like with the guerrilla marketing or the big events or whatever it is, it's just simply, hi, I'm here, see me. Um, it's like an enticer. Um, and then you have to still follow that up with good work, good marketing, good content. Um, don't kind of rest your laurels on the fact that throwing an event that closes half the city down is going to last more than three months, you know? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In your mind, what are, uh, what's an example of great marketing that you've seen recently? Um, that I've seen recently, I've, the idea is that you wouldn't see it, right? Yeah. So I, I'm <laughs> going to do like a bit of a curveball where, um, you know, Zara, the shop, yeah. mainly for females, but there's there's a little male section in there. Yeah. Um, I was just so impressed with their non-marketing. But what they would do is like their business was like buying up real estate everywhere you know like a mcdonald's one is that they're in real estate and being in places where there's footfall um so people kind of pick it up and it's always inside um the only thing that they would ever advertise or market out is if they have a new shop opening they get like a full page ad and uh put that in and go right new york times we've got a new shop in new york that company is huge it's huge the guy's like one of the richest people's in the world and there's effectively you know on the veneer of it there's no marketing but it's just a different tactic in terms of like getting people to notice it but don't necessarily see it you've got some really garbage business practices other than that though <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm sure they have i'm sure they have but that particular th uh thread of it just always fascinated me in, in terms of like yeah. Being made aware of something, but it not registering and having that association, you know, like priming, you know, techniques in, in branding and, you know, all the psychological stuff. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. I've been reading a lot about behavioral psychology this year. Did you learn anything? Yeah. How much? A lot. That Well, the main takeaway I have, uh, the two books I read were Thinking Fast and Slow and then social, The Social Animal or yep. Social Animals. Um uh, we don't have that much control. Yeah, absolutely. Our absolutely. unconscious mind does like 99% of the work. If not more. If not but more, I mean, if not more. When, you, when you get down to like what we're built out of, I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? Like, I don't know, man. We're like, chemical processes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty mind boggling that like the priming stuff, right? Yeah. The words you use, the colors, the imagery, like you don't have to be saying anything, but those kinds of things will, it's why, you know, fast food shops prefer red and yellow and that kind of, of course. stuff because yeah. it makes you hungry or some shit. I don't know. But, but or, no, it makes, it makes you want to, it makes you want to leave, I think. Yeah, it's, it's for speed. So, yeah, yeah, so it's the for fast speed. food, the, the color that makes you want to eat more is actually blue. Which seems kind of counterintuitive because it, or on the surface, it feels like oh, it's a little cold. Blue seems to make you want to do everything more. <laughs> it makes you want to engage it's a safe more. Color. It's in the sky, you know. Um, but definitely, like being outside in <laughs> yeah. an app. <laughs> we need to we need to get that as a tagline on one of the apps that we work on. 
soon. Um, but yeah, like the the whole multi-sensory experience is like a lot of people kind of focus on priming as the words of going, oh, um, Apple had the big kind of think different thing that they're still carrying on today. And even though they're not really That's thinking... That's still a bad sentence. It is a bad <laughs> sentence. But, but the point I was getting at is that they're really not thinking differently in today's world but they've carried that through not just in the words and repetition um of saying it all the time they're just using grammar differently <laughs> <laughs> grammar different grammar different i like that i really do um but yeah in terms of like the colors every time someone has uh, a connection with a brand it's reinforced with the people and um all the interactions um but you can orchestrate that because you can build it off of these kind of patterns and preferences that people have that they're influenced by that they don't realize they're influenced by. You know, the the social norms, peer pressure, you know, expected behavior, all those things can go into, into your work so you can coordinate um, or guide people through something. How do you find that stuff? Is it reading papers? Uh, I read a hell of a lot. Okay. To, to be perfectly honest, so I, I read a lot just out of sheer interest. So there are papers. Is it mainly books or is it? Because uh, I, always, I always wonder about these psych, psychology books, like how much of it is actual science and how much of it is like pseudoscience. Good writing. <laughs> but good writing in itself is also a kind of psychological primer. Yeah. You know, like NLP and using your oh, words sure. positively and all that kind of stuff. Um, I read papers and then I try and find counter arguments, whether it's in a book or in it another paper or like even a mm -hmm. Q and a section. Um, I like to kind of check all sources. And then I also like to find people that are kind of innovating in that space or creating new insights and then not only research what they're talking about, but like try and find the, uh, track record, like their history. So I'll give you, I'll give you a name, um, who's kind of big in the UK. I'm not sure if it's in the USA. Uh, it's a guy called Darren Brown and it's Darren with two E's. Um, who's. Doreen. You... <laughs> no, that's three. It's E's. D E R R E N. See, Bryn got it. I've heard this name before. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Doreen. It's I'm not, gonna it's call not it Doreen. Darren. It's Darren. Darren. God. Darren. Okay. Um, Darren but he, he's kind of a self-touted mentalist, um, does magic, does um, all the psychological kind of influence stuff. He's got a few books out there. Um, not read the latest one yet, but the, the previous ones that... I've read have just been fascinating in terms of his perspective of all the psychological influences that come in, um, you know, that help him do his job of tricking people and manipulating them and whatever else. Um, but he communicates. <laughs> That's a really bad job anywhere else. <laughs> it is. Unless you're a magician. But, but, you know, those techniques you can then just build into your, I don't know, sea of influence. Uh, and the difference between manipulation and influence is just manipulation is getting someone to do something for you and influence is like encouraging them to do something for themselves. It's how I see it anyway. Okay. And uh, he, his techniques and insights into all of it was a real eye-opener to me in terms of just how predictable people are, for want of a better word, and then also 
having that that technique of going creating that awareness of once you're aware of it then you can push it back against it and have more of a free choice in whatever you do we use predictability kind of as a negative word do you think that's a bad thing this is nah, something i think wait, about a lot like wait, wait. i think in what context? Because I love predictability in design. Me too. Well, I love predictability in people. Like uh, when I'm driving, for example, yeah. I want to know where people are going. My goal is to strive to be as predictable as possible. I think that's helpful in society in general. It helps us communicate with each other. Yeah. But we use it as a negative. Oh, you're predictable. You're so predictable. Like, it's actually a strength. No, yeah. I totally agree. So take the driving thing. If you're driving down the road, you're like 99% of, of what you're doing is predicting that there's an expectation of all the drivers doing something else. Yep. So the times when you have like near misses or crashes or whatever it is, is when something unpredictable happens. Yep. You know, there's hard braking, there's a no signal turn or whatever it is. You could also call predictability reliability, right? Like, yeah. It's it's a good thing when you can predict how someone is going yeah. to move. Uh, and this is one thing that I tout in a in a lot of the work that I do, especially with, um, you know, like all the devices and all the touch points and everything else is like design for predictability rather than consistency, because you can't consistency is like a foundation, and then you need to deviate from that depending on the environment someone comes. Yeah comes in at Ooh. So patterns differ per platform let's talk about this some more because those two words are like some of the founding principles of the work that i do okay like consistency yep um which just let, means 400 symbols can, can i let me let me define predict <laughs> uh consistency and predictability in my words and then you can dispute or help me refine my, my okay definition. go so for me consistency is um largely visual but it's also the words that we use. So um, this call to action will always say this thing on every screen. Uh, so would you say style guides generally? Maybe, but uh, this type of color communicates this type of thing. That's consistency to me. And predictability is more about moving between states. So when I tap this, this will happen. If something goes wrong, I will know where to go. If something goes right, I know what will happen. If I see this icon, I know it means this. That to me is predictability, not necessarily... Mm -hmm. Um, I'd probably build on that in terms of there's a bit of an overlap yeah. because there's a there's mm -hmm. a predictability of kind of going into a room or a, like looking on a screen, but go with the the metaphor, but going into a room and expecting certain things to be in certain places, like coming in, in into this place and expecting that there's a kitchen so we can make coffee. That's predictability, but over many different rooms and apartments and buildings and whatever else, the consistency of having kitchens again reinforces that expectation so for me consistency is the foundation of building an environment so it, it's um keeping that expectation predictable uh predictability is more probably i'm agreeing with you now like more in action you know so but to me it's like a venn diagram yeah, 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 they they overlap or yeah. more like two arrows pointing at each other. Like yeah. they've, I feel like they. If, if, <laughs> if I could refine it a little bit more, I think consistency is already there before you interact with it. Predictability is as you're interacting with any environment. Yeah, so yeah, the same like thing over different time spans. Yeah, yeah. All right, I can work with that. Okay, it's like every time you buy something on Amazon. It's predictable. Like, you know, you're going to get your thing in two days, like every you're single primed for time. It. But the consistency is 
to me the button that says buy now with one click or something like that consistency helps me predict mm. what's gonna happen. i don't know yeah i did that like five times last night god i love that one click button <laughs> that damn button <laughs> spending all my money there there are too many shopaholics in this city honestly i <laughs> i kept going david malpass's place yeah, yeah. Uh, i went to his apartment like four times and every time there was a, a like five boxes from how do you Amazon. think Amazon stays in business, man? They trademarked it, didn't they? <laughs> oh, whatever it, they did, just the one-click buy, it's crazy. It's crazy. I well, think that's going to get better with Apple Pay. Hmm. All my Prime stuff is, uh, or all my one-clicks are uh, equipment. I want to go back to one thing. I, I haven't said this to anyone, and you might think it's silly, but between reading the two books, uh, watching Westworld, watching... Have you seen Westworld? Yes. Oh my them. god, I love yeah, it so much. I, know, I, know. I just amazing. watched uh, season three, episode three of Black Mirror. Yes. Which, Wait, which one was that? San, again? San Wait, Junipero season one? four. Se- the Netflix season. Whatever the latest season is. Yeah, the season San Junipero four. one. Uh, is that I the seen love that one. I've story only seen number one. It's in Dream State one. It's like the the old people that go. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking yes. about. Yes. If I it, don't. if anyone. Uh, yeah, you need to explain it now. Can, should we just stop and go watch it and come back? Dude, okay, this next minute contains spoilers. Actually, do you care if I spoil it, Brent? I really don't. I actually like spoilers. Okay, yeah. I like to know how a story goes and then watching it play out to see how people communicated the idea. So I really enjoy that. Black Mirror is about the future of technology and in the future uh, in retirement homes, you just put oh, this... Oh, the Black Mirror is an iPhone screen. Yeah, yeah. You put this little <laughs> thing on your head that takes you into this place called San Junipero, which is essentially virtual reality. Um, but Dope, I'm with you. This dot that they put on your head uh, just triggers your brain to think you're feeling and sen- sensating everything around you, right? So it's for old people to go back in time and feel young and live their life. Uh, so for example, uh, one of the characters is a quadriplegic and she uses it to just go and live a life. Yeah. But it's all totally fake. But for her, it's real. So between that, Westworld, these two books. Well, I like, how is I, that any different than what actually happens in the real world, right? It's all just... I think this might be the point that he's getting to. Like the yeah. the, uh, the perception of reality. The and perception what of reality. Yeah, like what, what are we like? What's the point of any of this? Like happiness and... I mean, we're in a simulation, right? Success like, and unhappiness. Really, and theory. Sensation, pain. It's all just these chemical things that can be triggered by other people. It can be triggered by marketing. It can be triggered by a little dot I put on my head or in today's uh, prehistoric soon-to-be technology, putting these giant visors on our head. That It's just tricking our brain, right? Yeah. Um, I just but feel, it, like, it, I, I feel it, like I just go through my entire life just being tricked, and that sucks. <laughs> well, maybe maybe that's just like <laughs> a pessimistic attitude. Maybe yeah. it is. You know, the, the optimistic one would be like, oh, I want more of these impulses and influences. But do you want to- more of that? Not really, because I'm a, I'm a bit of an introvert, and I, I have enough stimulus as it is when I when I'm on my own. Uh, but I think a lot of a lot of the time is that we're reaching out and looking for significance uh, in finding a right answer of going like what reality is and is it going to be scary and what whatever else uh, and like 
don't search for the right answer. Just kind of experience it and enjoy it. And if someone likes being in a VR headset for 23 hours a day, um, as long as they can get fed and they're not hurting other people and it's not like they've got a surrogate that's going out robbing banks, then go do it. Do your thing. Perception is reality is like the underlying motif. Yeah. Me, right? And it can either motif. get... Yeah. Motif. Yeah, and it can either get reinforced or, you know... I actually look out to kind of shake my reality quite often. You know? How do you do that? Um, Mushrooms. <laughs> Hard drugs. Yes. That as well. <laughs> um, but, but no, I always like to play devil's advocate with myself. So if I've got like a really strong belief, um, go out and find the absolute opposite opinion and then I just read about it. And there's a little part of me of going like, I want you to change my opinion because I feel really strongly about it. And I don't like to live in a world where it's right or wrong. Um, I like the gray area. I like the the uncertainty around um, a lot of the stuff. And I, I feel a lot of people spend more time fighting to be right than spending more time doing what's right for many, many different people. Um, what's an example i i mean brexit uh, comes to mind do you want to talk about brexit (laughs) no but that seems like an example where uh or trump like people fighting to be right instead of fighting to understand like what the right thing is i think i think it is and i think people justify what they identify as and if you identify as say a republican uh, with a recent kind of Trump win, is the, the there's a natural, um, or I don't even know if it's like an innate human characteristic of going, I need to repel anything that challenges that ideal, what I identify as. So you get this weird dynamic, and it's the same with Brexit as well, where um, they polarize from each other of going, right, if I'm super liberal versus like, super conservative then even if the uh, i'll pretend to be a liberal at the minute uh, even if a republican comes up with a good idea the natural response to stay in your social group is to reject it and that's not always the case you know that there's going to be some good ideas that come from both sides um and you hope that a system can evolve or develop where both sides are welcome and then you're you're talking over the ideals. That's not as easy to do. <laughs> That's how we wish the world was, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't have to disagree with everything someone does if you disagree with just like one or two things. Yep. Yeah? Broad generalizations are often harmful. Very much so, very much so. And I think language as well is... I think I think it's a paradox. Or it's a paradox in my head, especially where sometimes I look at the language that we speak, and most of the most of the time I don't think we have enough words, and then the other half I think we have too many. Simply for the fact that ninety percent of your time working with people is trying to understand what the hell they mean. I think there's a Mark Twain <laughs> quote saying that like the meaning is, or we never have words enough to describe the meaning, or something. To that effect is is much more eloquent, but um, like <laughs> you, you the can words we use, it the words we use are never big enough to explain the meaning or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, because it is, and we just build our lives around, uh, on assumptions. You know, like 
build it on our life experiences and that predictability coming yeah. back in of going right oh i predict because this happened in the past that this is going to happen in the future so i assume that if someone says i don't know a word republican then it means all this baggage for me and it doesn't really shift and evolve as quickly as as you'd like it to but also if we had more words would we then would it then cost more time like does having limited language combined with experience to get meaning uh like give us some value it does i i this is the paradox that i have it's like there are times and cases when you need to articulate something and having lots of synonyms Mm -hmm. is a is a beautiful kind of poetic experience and then you know you kind of bring that background into the predictability of ui app design (laughs) and you want to filter all that that shit out it's yeah. like, oh, I just want this word to mean this one thing throughout the whole experience. And then we get into like another paradox of the world as we live in today, especially in um, Silicon Valley tech world, is that we have this disillusioned notion of there is one right solution for every um, permutation or user case or whatever the buzzword is now and it isn't there's multiple solutions for multiple problems um, and we've not really got there in terms of cracking that problem into a solution i opened a bag of worms with that communication is easily the hardest part of our jobs right. right like and and everyone else's i think too Massively, yes. yeah. It's what I spend ninety percent of my time doing. So I came out two weeks ago to to help out uh, on a little project, and I think the first week I spent documenting, doing like a, a glossary of terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so internally, when people start saying words like um, I don't know what what came up, email, right? We all kind of think we know what email is, and we all have an interpretation of what email is. Email's the client, right? <laughs> I, I was just going to say, no, email's message. the message. <laughs> is it the message? Is it the client? Email's a response the... from a server. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be all those things? Um, but we, like, I just listed it out and got everybody's opinion on, on what it was, and then collectively had an exercise of going right. We're going to agree that when we're talking about it within this lens or this context, this is what it means, and then there's no assumption. So. Obviously, there's a job of kind of creating lenses and motives and whatnot in terms of uh, articulating user stories so you can communicate within a team. And then when people come together, you know, like for meeting feedback rounds or or whatever else, um, you're all kind of talking on the same page, which then flips the 90% talking, wondering and working out everybody else to actually doing the thing that you that's on the job description. I like, uh, God, I'm trying to remember who wrote this thing. Uh, it was about, it was me. How do we build a collective human conscious consciousness? A hive mind. Uh, but it was talking from the sense of self-driving cars. It was like traffic, traffic is bad because people don't know how to talk to each other in a way that or communicate so fast and with so many different people that we can, stop this stop and go ebb and flow and just make it a continuous stream of traffic. I think I watched a TEDx or a TED talk with uh, Marshall about this the other night. Maybe. Yeah. So uh, the solution for now is to offload that onto machines, right? We can do that better with machines. Because we've got the connectivity now. So that has me thinking about what you're saying is we have this problem of communicating and, and understanding each other and 
aligning on lenses and backgrounds. Yeah. And is there a way to offload that to machines? I, yeah, we definitely need to maybe bypass in that context. The answer is no. I don't know. Uh, I I don't know enough yet, but I think it is it is probably an attempt to really get to know the individual. You know, we have like personas and stereotypes and demographics that we all kind of aim for. It's like there's a collection of characteristics for every individual why they infer a email to be a certain thing. So you you said client because you you know live in tech world because i was joking yeah <laughs> and you were yeah you were being yeah. funny and then well, someone else would say oh is that the little envelope because they they're outside of the yeah. tech world and don't even know what a client is they think a client is like someone they sell something to exactly exactly so i think the the pursuit of offloading that to machines is um a pursuit of really getting connected on a personal individualistic level with machines so they get to know it. we're getting into like the film her territory have you seen that yeah. Yeah? yeah yeah so it's like semantic keyword extraction intent with the context of all this might be getting to like high concept level stuff but you know well you've been thinking about artificial intelligence as I don't want to put words in your mouth as like a way to augment the way we build things for the world. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, any particular area? Like why, why is that interesting to you? Why you wrote this piece on medium explaining why you think this is important for designers to think yeah. about artificial intelligence. Like why? why the fact care? that we don't blows my mind. Like, yeah, uh, I think, I think on a very selfish way, it's, it's a path of self discovery because like, I'm a designer by trade, but I have a lot of questions, you know, uh, mm. uh, and those questions that you end up asking yourself, like trying to replicate your decisions and intent for a machine are really, really insightful. You know, mm-hmm. why, why are you uh, on a very trivial level? Why are you positioning things in certain places? Why are you adding white space? What are those kind of influences that make you um design things and then can you replicate it um so definitely a path of self-discovery then there was also the insight a few years ago which i think you had as well brian of um how predictable and people don't like to hear this how predictable people are so you know when you get into pattern recognition is like most humans build their lives on it and then that factors in predictability and consistency and expectancy so i that kind of high challenge of is there a grand kind of theory of design that can be articulated and then put into a binary format so that we can put it into a machine and the machine can replicate the results mm-hmm. and maybe throw a few surprises out there or a few learnings. It was definitely a uh, more of a, a learning experience because I didn't like the idea of that one single solution for 7 billion different people. Mm-hmm. Because I always use the analogy of going like, websites today are uh, like shop windows. You know, it's all orchestrated. It's nice. You can't really move anything. And it, it's just there to entice you to interact with it. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to get to a point where the website reflected the person that's viewing it. So to change the perception uh, based on that individual and to get to that point meant a deep dive in understanding type colors um, layout psychology 
influencers, all that kind of stuff. So for for an introvert that likes to read a lot of books and do a lot of research, it was like the the best deep dive project ever. That, this was at the grid. Yes, this was at the grid. That seems like the harder side of using AI in design. Like I think a lot of our process could be automated, like yep. iterative exploration kind of stuff. Yep. Definitely could be. Like feed it a pattern, um, help it understand what needs to be done, and then let it iterate on things. And I think that could move us forward to more interesting problems. I, I think you could. I think, uh, especially with the, it's the problem space, isn't it? You know, yeah. like uh, I know um, John Gold did the the type little yeah, uh, type two, which was spun out of obviously all the questions and developments that we were doing mm-hmm. uh, at the grid, and it hopefully is a great tool that people get a lot of benefit out of. And that kind of singular thread um, is definitely beneficial. Mm-hmm. I think trying to take on like the grandiose statement was, I really wanted the internet to shape to the individual rather than the individual shape to the internet yeah. and it, all its interactions and its interface and its design and all, all those kind of characteristics. And I think to get to that level, all has to be considered. So it is, is a harder problem. But out of that, there is a lot of learnings where I think Adam Morse um, did some color stuff and then brought out tachyons, which is incredible. It is amazing. Uh, and I, to be perfectly honest, I don't want to give kind of credit to the grid for that. I think that was already in, in the works. Uh, Between Adam and Jackson. Exactly. Yeah. So that was already there. But I imagine some of the learnings that they got with inside of those, uh, that kind of bigger, more abstract problem space mm-hmm. help refine or re, uh, reassure them that they were on the right path and helped a few of the, the kind of decision-making process of how do we scale? How do we expand? How do we make it more clear? So yeah, there's, there's a lot of tools that we can use to automate. But I think the allure for me was just the magic of doing everything. You, you said something earlier. I, I want to jump back to you. you said, I, I want the internet to shape to the individual. Yes. Do you, do you believe that still? Yes. Uh, I because think- it seems... Is it in conflict with your goal of always being able to challenge your own viewpoints and to view the other side? If the world conforms to me, does that eliminate that that ability to to no, see things I, that challenge your well, your expectations? Some of what changes it doesn't have to always be in agreement with them. It could be a counterpoint too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but, but how do you how do you do let, that? Let, let's make a distinction like content. I want it to challenge me. I want to connect with people, have conversations that ah, have disagreements okay. and whatever okay. else. In terms of shaping the internet. Like interface? Interface, design. I see. You know, conduits of flows and um, to get people to the right kind of place mm-hmm. or get them to the right source of information. So on a very, very simple uh, level is like if you can extract the data that someone's going like command plus yeah, every time yeah, they, yeah, yeah. yeah every yep. time they hit a site is then you can infer from that with a high confidence or um, the, the text needs to be larger. Yeah. So rather than like take all those little actions away and adapt the interface to that individual. And then over time it compounds of going, right. I have more time to, read something valuable or connect with great people. Should that be abstracted out to then like a browser or something? So that person's preferences are that way across more sites. I go even further. Like 
imagine your smartphone being your identity card. Done. Done. And then everything changes. You imagine the the expansion of technology where it's not just the interface, it's not just the website, it's not just the phone, it's the in the future like the self-driving cars, the advertising windows that change, all that kind of grand minority report-esque without the bad connotations. Um, <laughs> without the precogs. Where yeah. you have to get eye <laughs> implants. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm really welcoming of those kind of ideas of pushing it a little bit forward. And I know that I'm in a bit of a minority with that, but I think the pursuit of kind of pushing those boundaries that far um, allows us then to rein it in where it's more acceptable for the majority of people to use it. But it still needs the pioneers to go out. The faster we get to that problem, the faster we can like work out the, yeah. the fine details before it actually ships. Yes. The hard part there is money. <laughs> Money, time, <laughs> talent, resources, all the things, you know. Those it, are all money, right? <laughs> it, <laughs> well, well, in our world today, yes. Yes, <laughs> money is um, a conduit to getting all of those things. I wish it wasn't, but, you know, everyone has to pay their own bills yeah. uh, and survive a little bit. But I think there's not enough people out there tackling those big problems. Totally. Uh, you know, uh, and we, we get in this kind of sell, like pat ourselves on the back of just like not doing big things or innovative things and settling for, I don't know. One of these two websites. One of these two websites. <laughs> uh, I don't want to point a finger at any company or startup or whatever else yeah. or person for that matter. Um, but there are people, companies and startups out there that aren't really tackling significant problems. That's fair. Uh, we're like 40 minutes in and we haven't talked at all about your background, which we usually start with. Oh, wow. Did we go off on a, a huge tangent? It was, was a very good tangent. That was fun. I'm glad okay. we covered it, but that seemed like a really good place to end that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very like okay. neat wrap up. I may need prompting because I don't like talking about myself, but yeah, let, let's do the background thing. Okay. So we are 40 minutes in and yep. where are you from? So uh, I'm from the UK. Um, four hours north from London. It's not London. Don't say it's London. It's four Wait, hours north. London or the city of London? <laughs> the city of London is really, really small. Mm-hmm. And it's not even that. Uh-huh. All London, it's like four hours north in Yorkshire. So you're from so London? North London. <laughs> north London. Near Milton Keynes is where I live. It's like the countryside and whatever else. But I'm a bit of a nomad gypsy. So, you know... Right. Yeah, I've moved. I've lived here in San Francisco for a little while, lived in Germany, lived in um, or traveled around Europe and all that kind of stuff. But UK is what I call home. Your home base. Home base. That's where that's where the family is. When you grew up, were you interested in technology design? When did that when did that sort of stuff creep into your world? I'm really late to the game. Into like I could I look around or I, I talk with people, and they've been in tech or design from when they were like eight years old. I started when I was like twenty two. Uh, what were you even doing? Well, before then, was <laughs> yeah, was there life then? outside of that not existing? Um, I I tried the Marines for a little while. Oh shit! Um, and then before that, well, now I just feel like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it, it's it wasn't the United States Marines, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. I tried it, and and it was one of those things where you used every muscle in your body apart from 
the one that matters or the, the one that matters to me, like your head. There, there's, there's no thinking. It, it's just kind of following orders. So I weirdly like came out of that and was looking at options. So I did college and I was like looking at university courses and I just wanted something to stimulate my brain. And then there, there were a couple of courses that came out that I was really interested in. One was uh, English and criminology. And the other one was this kind of convoluted multimedia and communication design course. Um, and on a simple premise of the latter being a lot closer to where I lived, I picked that one. And looking back now, because I had such low expectations, the university course for me was amazing so it was like a little introduction to all it's like a metaphor of life man yeah you just keep keep the expectations, <laughs> expectations <down>. low <laughs> happiness and you'll be surprised high. yeah but it was like a uh an introduction to all different design disciplines so you had product design you had journalism you had typography courses you had print design and one of them was like a, a module on web design and simply out of a oh, this is easy, I'm getting good marks. I carried that on into like a, a final year course because I wanted like good marks. And then... Because it was stimulating your brain so much that it, you, it, was. it was difficult. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it wasn't too <laughs> difficult uh, at university, but it was new and exciting. Yeah. So um, back then I used to design and code and I don't code anymore now. So Should you? <laughs> oh, I, I really just set that up. You should do what makes you happy. Right. Uh, and I think, well, one of the pursuits, just to answer that. I was what, being completely sarcastic. I know, but I, I feel compelled to answer it now. It's like, no, you don't have to code. No, you don't have to design and code. I think the the channel that you should be looking for is like, just find great people to work with and have overlapping skill sets. Mm. That's all you need. It's like, I... I haven't coded in... Why overlapping? Overlapping because you want to create uh, a sense of understanding. Uh, communication. Yeah, it's yeah, communication. It goes back to that. That was my assumption, but I wanted... <laughs> yeah, but you you got clarity yeah. on it. It's very good. I like it. Good job, Bryn. Good job, Bryn. <laughs> Did you just fake a British accent? <laughs> no. A lot of people do. Good job, Bryn. <laughs> good. Yeah, I won't J- do it again. Just say things quicker and you'll get a British accent. Okay. Yeah. So don't don't draw it out. Just like a, Americans do. Like yeah. I do. And accent your T's. I love John Gold on Twitter when he like uses double D's for everything. <laughs> Twitter. 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 Well, that's how you pronounce it, isn't it? Twitter. Twitter. T-W-I-D-D-U-R. Twitter. Is there a D in water? Water. 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 You want some water? Language is fun, guys. It is. It's fun, but there's too many words. Um, and it, I can't remember where we were I talking was about. Now. Should designers? Code. <laughs> Sorry. We, it was overlapping skills. Overlapping skills, and look, there, there's going to be some amazing designers that do code. There's going to be equally amazing designers that don't. Um, and I think the only thing you need to look for is, you know, just improve yourself. And it doesn't necessarily mean following the crowd and doing what everyone else is doing, but more improving yourself so that you can work with those people better. Cool. Yeah. I'll take it. So okay. you're getting good marks. So I'm getting good marks and then came out of university and was like, oh, is there even a job in this field? Shit, I should have checked this before. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I enjoyed it too much. I yeah. got I got a great grade, came out, and then it was like, there were still webmasters back then. 
so we're like talking mm. 10 years ago. WordPress ninjas. WordPress ninjas, all that thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and ended up at like a little studio that was even closer to Scotland, uh, near Newcastle, a little place called Chesterle Street, big on cricket, if you're into that. Uh, and just that went- was a bunch of words I didn't <laughs> know. <laughs> there you go. That, we started with places and then ended with cricket, and that's all we need to know. Done. Scotland, Newcastle, something, something, cricket. <laughs> yeah, Chester the Street. Yeah. It doesn't even I don't matter. even know what you just said. <laughs> I'll, I'll write it down. Put it in the notes. Okay. Um, put them back on the map. I probably will. <laughs> Did you say Chesthiller Street? Chester. Chester. L-E. L-E. Lee. Lee Street. Got it. <laughs> this is the, this is the this craziest is... segue ever. <laughs> Chester Lee Street. Fritz teaching Americans how to listen better. <laughs> wow. Okay. So yeah, I can't. <laughs> so yeah, in Chester Street, well, was at a, a little agency for a little while, uh, doing all that kind of stuff, then bounced around, did some kind of freelance, always done kind of freelance work all the way throughout. Um, went to a few agencies over the next three or four years, got that kind of experience, went up the ranks, did all the that kind of stuff. And then the big shift for me was... Um, noticing the obvious call was coming back up. I think it was back in like 2012. And uh, saw a new site, applied for that, expecting absolutely nothing. And that, that seemed to be a trend. I think Dustin Sino said the same thing. Yeah, yeah. We, we went, I think we applied roughly at the same time, but I had, I had a few more issues with getting the visa and getting moving over. And we just, like, we saw it and applied not expecting anything same thread Mm. same trend um and then ev got back in about three weeks and his first line was something like have you ever considered moving out to the bay area there was no high no nothing it was just like just come and move out and then we did uh, like six weeks later moved out brought brought the family little boy was four years old at the time and then just went from like agency side to product side as simple as that and then i did medium that that spun out of obvious jumped around for a little while did the grid for like three years how'd that happen how did that happen uh, i think well, it, like between medium and and the grid or obvious and the grid why the transition um well we uh, as a family we decided to move back to the uk um wasn't quite working out for claire who's my wife uh and the little boy who's your son Leighton. so we moved back um they're amazingly happy now um so the the bigger challenge was like being outside of san francisco and still wanting to work in like the startup scene and on products and all that loveliness um so put some work up uh, I think it was on Beyonce at the time. Um, the CEO of the grids named Dan Takini reached out and said, love some of the work that you're doing. It's in a similar space in terms of part of the product that they were building at the time. Um, wanted to get in touch. I told him my situation where I'm going to be remote, but I can travel. And he said, that works. And then three years later, lots of traveling around the world. And working from home. It, honestly, it was ridiculous. I was traveling like every three, four weeks. Like half the team was in Estonia, right? No, we we had a meetup in Estonia, which is like, you probably need another podcast to understand what really went down there. Um, 
Okay. Save that for another time. Yeah, yeah. Um, we covered 10 time zones. So we had... All over the grid. All over the grid. Nice. Um, uh, I think it was... I think Adam was originally out in like Hong Kong. Yep. And then we had like Finland, Berlin, Germany, me in the UK. New York. New York, North Carolina, Brazil, like Sao Paulo, I think it was, if that's even a place. That is. Uh, it's yeah. Yeah. Um, and then obviously San Francisco and a few in between that, uh, Russia, well, it was another, I think just outside Moscow. So yeah, we, we traveled a lot. We, we decided not to like do the big HQ office and just pick a place on the map and travel, meet up there. There was a house here in Pack Heights for a while that was pretty. That, that was like the unofficial HQ, hmm. which was, uh, quite it was a, like a compound, right? <laughs> it was huge. It was, yeah, a crazy space, you know, like had a little pool out in the back yep. and then a hot tub. So when all the Europeans used to come over, they'd get naked a lot and scare all the Americans. <laughs> um, John Gold. John Gold, not really. No, he just kept his bandana on in both places. <laughs> <laughs> was, wow. Sorry, John. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that didn't really happen. Um, <laughs> but Henry, good friend of mine, who's from Finland, and if you don't know, Finland's like, huge on saunas so they tend to have a lot of nakedness all the time so uh, an interesting thing like henry used to work at nokia and off the boardroom i think it was there was a sauna where they'd have boardroom meetings in the sauna huh. and decisions wouldn't be made until you were naked i imagine that's not a good place to bring a computer <laughs> no, no. They, these are big decisions. You, you don't want your computer in that space. Decisions. Yeah. So yeah, there, there, there was quite a bit of nakedness, but not in you know. The <laughs> How did we get here? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But yeah, with compound, big yeah, place, yeah, great place. It was fun. So the grid for three years. Yes, that's a long time. It is a long time. It's a, it's a huge amount of time, and I, I still feel that it's it's not finished. I still actually work on my pursuit of it you know in terms of like building out the design systems with all the influences and um how that like i'm in a what i call like a testing period now where i get to work with a lot of different uh people on different projects and apply that mentality and that approach uh, yeah. um and then i go back when i have a little bit of free time and build it out a little bit more um and how it would work on theoretically at least how it would work on like neural nets and decision making trees and markov chains and all that kind of stuff some so, things that i don't know a lot about yeah no yeah, me neither an example like what's one of the assumptions you've been testing with with clients um so one that i kind of discovered recently is um you know how like people do designs and then put the golden ratio like spiral uh <laughs> golden section spiral on yeah, it and yeah. i'm like it doesn't even fit. Why are you putting it on? Yeah. yeah. Um, At this point, it's just a meme, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, Have you all seen like, the golden ratio of like Donald Trump's hair? Because yeah, that yeah. is like my favorite yeah, one. Yeah. But yeah, it's like looking at, at it in its entirety. And um, I never kind of was sold into the idea of like positioning things to um to this golden section or golden yeah. ratio but what i have found is that if you have a lot of kind of mini uses of that ratio um like phi 
for example. So I, I use fire a lot in like type size to line height or white like margin to padding or and it's like a lot of micro uses of phi throughout a site. I don't know what you're saying. Phi. No, phi is just a, an irrational number that is a like PHI. Yes. Oh. Okay. Never heard of it. It's like the predecessor to golden okay. ratio. Okay. 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 Which before it was phi was a predecessor that helped build the pyramids for the architects. If you ever want to go back that far. Um, numbers are cool. Numbers are amazing. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to convince you because it's kind of my world. Um, but anyway, so using a predecessor to like the golden uh, ratio everywhere in terms of like relationships between spacing and typesetting. And I even do it in um, like the values between uh, in like hue, saturation and brightness. Mm-hmm. And that collection of details comes together and presents something that's beautiful. Because people are pre-programmed, for want of a better word, to have a lot of pattern recognition. Yep. And if you do that in lots of kind of microscopic ways and then present it in its environment, it kind of negates the, I call it dissonance. I know it's a musical term, but they, they translate a no, little it, bit. No, it definitely does. Yeah. So it, it, it gets rid of all the dissonance and then people are more welcoming mm-hmm. to the idea. So I've been trying that on a, a few projects lately, like being really, really disciplined in um, a very, very simple way is if you go in multiples of eight, for example, for like type sizing. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Multiples of eight. And then if you have a type size of like 40 points and then you plus eight for your line height, 48. Yeah. Um, and you can use that on any typesetting size. When you start putting combination of like H1 and H3s together, you get a ballpark like golden ratio working out. So then the pattern recognition kicks in and people think it's more beautiful. Yeah. The number eight's a beautiful number in design. Well, the, eight's wonderful, but yep. in general, pattern recognition is what people perceive as beautiful. When yes. people get when people try to take unique to the point where it breaks patterns, that's where the dissonance comes in. Yeah. And it, it's kind of a waste of time. In my it opinion. is. Well, it is. except when they stumble upon something better and then that becomes a new, better pattern. But it's be. also a pattern, right? Like the, the trick is when people try to avoid patterns altogether. Yeah, but I think it's important to have that. All I'm saying is I don't think it's a waste of time because I think it is important. Experimentation for to, is good. To experiment no one's arguing on that. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm pushing that on, it's like the the kind of golden ratio or you know you can feed that into the number like with Fibonacci's series and use those kind of little rule sets to build things out and they do work because it is the pattern recognition Mm -hmm. and then you also see them in natural settings Mm -hmm. like filiotaxis which is like the biological form of Fibonacci um the, the Fibonacci code and then the cosmology as well there's also you know harmonies up in there that you can then translate to uh, music, so cosmologic. Am I going too far? No, this. I, this yeah. is I just wrote a post on typographic of. scale, and I think one of the funniest things is that people always try and fit it to musical scale. Yeah, which doesn't make sense. It's like, why don't you pick numbers that are what, more well suited to the like medium you're using? But the principle still carries over. The principle carries over. Yeah, and, and if anyone ever wants like a 
an introduction, and I, I do mean it as an introduction, not a deep dive. There's a book out there called Quadrivium. Um, that sounds like a missed game. It probably is. Sounds like the next James Bond title. Yeah, they should because it's amazing. Honestly, it's amazing. Quadrivium. It, Quadrivium. Um, and it's based on the kind of four liberal arts of numbers, geometry, uh, music, and cosmology. And how these hidden kind of forces or natural truths um, translate into all those different areas. So you get these like first principle patterns. Yeah, I need to read this. Yeah? yeah. First principle patterns that you can then replicate in any different environment, whether it's in design, whether it's in totally. music, whether it's in geometry and sculpting you know it's it's a fascinating insight um that'll probably get you get you going and going right oh this pattern from i don't know economics is based on this principle i'm now going to use that principle in my design work and see how it goes crazy it's amazing i'm gonna go one click by that yeah you should <laughs> if it's still available if not i'll, I'll get you one okay Wait, you can get it on You've got like, a guy. You've got a Quadrivium uh, guy. I've got a guy that has a guy. Did they run out of digital copies? I, well, the thing is, I used to buy everybody a copy while I was at the grid as, a, mm. as an introduction. So you bought them all? I tried to. <laughs> They're out of print. It, it, was like, it was like the secret sauce, and I'm going, holy shit, if this gets out, then I'm going to be out of a job. But now you don't care? No, I don't care, because my expectations are low, and I'm living like I'm in retirement. Let's well, talk about that. Hmm? We've got a few minutes left. Okay. So where are you at now? In retirement, what does that mean? Um, I think I just had a a vision of what my retirement would be, like, I don't know, when I'm 80 years old, uh, and try to encapsulate what would that day um, be like? Like slow mornings, walks with, you know, if I had a dog, walks with the dog, pick up the paper, go back, um, challenge my brain a little bit for a few hours, spend time with the family in the afternoon. And then because I'm a bit of an insomniac, maybe do a little bit of work in the evening as well. But I also imagine that when you get to that age, the pressure to perform goes away. So I think a lot of the things that I've been doing um, this year is trying to find ways to take away that pressure to perform um, and get rid of all that anxiety. And, you know, when you work up because you feel obligated to be the best at whatever you get contracted or hired to do. Uh, and the surprising kind of counterintuitive result of that is that you end up performing better if you practice not getting stressed about it. What's been the hardest part of overcoming that hurdle of that anxiety to um perform doing it all the time you know it, it's uh it's an everyday kind of challenge and i think a lot of a lot of it is is being able to go out to other people and ask for help and tips and you know like i've i've seen doctors and therapists and um, specialists whether it's ranging from like mental techniques or stopping sleep deprivation which has an impact or changing habits and using all those um in order to like if i 
feel or have an awareness of a trigger of, um, oh, I'm getting worked up, this is getting really, really anxious. I, I then have a, a tool belt of techniques that I can use where a really, really simple one that brings on mindfulness for me, I'm not saying it works for everyone else, is if I get lost in a day of paranoia um, and anxiety, is I intentionally slow down my pace to walk. Um, because I'm thinking about walking, it filters everything else out and it reduces that anxiety down. Um, and plus when you're older, 80, you walk slower, don't you? So those are the little things that I do and then not look for projects because I'm retired. Try my best not to anyway. Um, you're happier? Much, much happier. And I think there's also, there's also a level of, I intentionally, now especially intentionally stay out of the inner circle of this industry one being location that i'm like five thousand miles away but even in terms of trying to be up to date with everything you know all the new tools all the new events all the new whatever it is that comes out that that people get attracted to um if there's a, a bright shiny project that that comes out that everyone's commending is just like having a little bit of uh distance from that means that I don't feel so compelled to be abreast of every news burst, um, which takes the pressure off where, like my phone, there's no notifications on there whatsoever. I switch them all off. I turn my phone off on silent. When I go to bed, it's like the other side of the room, so I can't reach for it. Um, and all those little habits add up where I'm not in this kind of anxious rat race of constant new stream all the time. Was it important for you to be a part of the rat race to get to this point? Or do you think someone could start with that mindset mentality and be successful? Um, I, What I've always said is, like, especially coming to to san francisco is a catalyst like you still need to put the work in um and then by an order of magnitude you'll get a lot more work out but it's for a short time span so it's definitely a catalyst you still need to put the work in to perform but it's short-lived unless you're here and it's like power up power up power up all the time from project to project so i don't think it's a prerequisite it's definitely harder if you're on the outside and you want to do all that amazing work and be known for it so that you can get the next best project. So it's definitely not impossible, but it just speeds up the whole process. You know, I don't think you need to be here to be a success, but it helps to be here to speed that up. Beautiful. Yeah. I agree. Okay. And I think that's why a lot of people come here temporarily. Yeah. yeah. So, now, there's not many natives in no. the city, is there? There's not many natives and there's not that many people here that stay longer than, I don't know, a decade. San Francisco's always been a gold rush town. At it's least always been always. a city of transients. Always. And I think that'll just continue. Uh, I, I don't know if we've sort of touched on it. We like to end the show by asking what keeps you up at night. But it sounds like you've eliminated all of the things that keep you up at night. I, I'm still a insomniac or maybe my schedule just works at night hours yeah so usually the the things that it's a metaphorical keeps you up at night yeah okay <laughs> the things that i still want to understand and design not design but understand all the design patterns in the world on like a big um so you know i rack my 
brains around quantum physics and mathematics and then trying to find those those first principle design theorems and then think of ways of how I can repurpose them from one space to another. So I could go on a deep dive in, you know, like how we talked about the hive mind earlier. Um, I see that there's a, there's a theme in the um, Game of Thrones series, uh, Songs of Song of Ice and Fire. Yes. Um, where the hive mind is one of the underlying themes. Weirwood net. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so... Deep jokes. W- w- without getting into all that, um, that's where I spend most of my time. I'm just trying to find all those like little first principle theories that I can mm-hmm. then translate and use elsewhere. Um, probably as a, a pursuit of trying to understand the world that we're in um, and all the interactions. So I get quite philosophical as well, especially if I have rum. So that that's my evenings <laughs> most I, nights. I think no, there's noted. We'll have some rum next time. Yeah. I think there's nice. a really interesting idea around and this is this might come out wrong. That's okay. Donald Trump, uh, our new president elect, Jesus, is like he doesn't release press releases, he just tweets things. What will like American history look like? in like 50 years when they're just like analyzing Donald Trump tweets. (laughs) Textbooks with screenshots of tweets. Like, well, does it have to move closer to this like hive mind? Like this is what people communicated in real time. We can actually like go back and see the live media of that. That's pretty cool. Like we didn't have that before. Yeah. 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 What's uh? What's one more book that's changed your life that you'd recommend? Um, I read one recently off a recommendation of a good friend of mine called Svetly, um, and it was called Sapiens. And it's like, yeah, yeah? I, has it been on before? No, but I, I have you read it? I'm excited because I read it too. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So, um, just I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we read the same book, dude. So read that. It's a bestseller. I bet no one else has. <laughs> Fuck off! I'm unique. I'm a snowflake. Well, we're just frozen in yeah. time together That's two right. unique snowflakes right. but yeah that that was an amazing book that had like a brief history of time and just you know perspective shifting and um you know how we grow in society and all that kind of stuff um it was just a, a good fascinating read on a flight back from san francisco to home and then all the a song of ice on fire series <laughs> uh-huh. and i've that. read all those two have all you the read fan all? fiction have I haven't read that. Oh, have you? Well, Southern Ambitions. But have you read the Duncan Egg series or like the World of Ice and Fire stuff? I love that world building stuff. I am like a complete lore addict. Yeah, I I got addicted. I I did get addicted to it because I was late to the game yet again. Yeah, another trend that happens. I read them all in a row after watching the first season of Game of Thrones, so I was fairly late. Yeah, so I I watched the first season and then went on to Vikings like the TV series for a little while, came back, read the first book again, um, and then, no, read the first book, then watched six seasons in one go, and then read all the books and all the fan fiction. So for like two months, my wife didn't see me at all. (laughs) I have a highly addictive personality. Yeah. Like, if it's a story, I have to finish the story as much as possible. I cannot give that thing up or it is all I will think about. Yeah. It will slow me down on everything else. Absolutely everything else. And I nearly got kicked out of the house. So, yeah. 
I had to, I had to Vikings stop. is very good though. Vikings is amazing. I, I don't need to be addicted to that either. Lee, it's been awesome. Thanks so it's much been for amazing. coming Thanks. hanging out. This was really fun. Yeah, good. Thank I'm you. glad. I, I, I had a blast. It. That was 173. Thanks to Lee for coming and hanging out with us. Thanks to you for listening and thanks to Wayno for sponsoring the episode. Give us your thoughts. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you need more podcasts for your ears, we have uh, nine shows and three blogs and lots of other goodies over at spec.fm. So much. So much stuff helping designers and developers level up. Again, that's at spec.fm. And of course, be sure to give Wayno a shout. Their website is wayno.co. That's U E N O.co. A rad group of people building products out of Reykjavik, New York City, and here in San Francisco. Go check out their work. Follow them on Twitter, Instagram, Dribble. Get inspired. Hit up their team. So thanks once again to Wayno. We'll see you next week.